0: Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post?
1: Sure, wow.
0: Then, by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. I'm Chris Franklin.
1: And I'm Cindy Franklin.
0: And as we record this, San Diego Comic Con just wrapped up. So, by the time you hear this, this will be old news. (laughs) All this will be old news. But... As we were, and it'll still be, I think, pretty relevant. So, I thought we'd uh, touch on some some cool uh,
1: hot spots, so some, to speak.
0: Yeah, some hot stuff from there. You know, one of the one of the big things that I saw today was the the trailer the the teaser trailer they showed in the uh, in front of the audience at San Diego for the Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice movie. That was, you know, it's very short. In case you haven't seen it, it might, you know, it, by the time you hear this, it probably been pulled from the internet, every version of it, or who knows, they may have even leaked it. Or, I don't know why they just don't go ahead and leak, leak an official version. I mean, like the next day. You oh, know? yeah. I mean, I mean, not leak, but just release an official version the next day. Get the shaky cam out of, you know, out of the way and just release it. Just go ahead and do it, you know? I mean, because obviously if you showed it to thousands of people in a room at San Diego, it's not something you don't want shown. No, because somebody
1: somebody somewhere is going to post it. Just like the Barbie convention, um, the Barbie National Convention also happened this week. Mm. And this is what kills me. It is a Mattel-sponsored event, and they showed product pictures of upcoming products but they aren't showing it on the Barbie collector site.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of similar. I mean, because, you know, Warner Brothers puts on this panel. And, you know, they get the stars there. You know, they had Zack Snyder, the director. They had Henry Cavill. They had Ben Affleck. And they had Gal Gadot. I think that's how you pronounce her name. I heard people try to pronounce it Gail Godot, But it's per- apparently it's really Gal Gadot. So, uh, you know, just playing Wonder Woman. And we'll get to that, too. But... Uh, they had them all there. They showed it. So why not just go ahead, you know, I understand, give them guys a sneak peek. They're in there. They're talking about it. The very next day, just release the stupid thing. That's you know, that's just what put I'm it saying. out. But anyway, so in case you didn't get to see it, it starts out, uh, you see, uh, it's very dark. It, of course, this was shaky cam, so it was even darker. But you see Batman turn on the bat signal, and... He seems to be, at first, you're like, okay, his costume looks different than what we've seen. I've already seen the picture of of Ben Affleck as Batman. And he's pointing it up in the sky, and it's lightning. Of course, it's Gotham City. It's raining. It's lightning. And then you see Superman floating in front of him like the bat signal shining on him. He's, he's like Batman's pointed at him, and his eyes are glowing red. And then you see that Batman is in a suit that looks very, very similar to the Armor, he wore it at the end of The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller where he fought Superman. Which, you know, his eyes are like lit up, like electric looking, you know, some kind of light. It's it's very cool, very well done. Uh, but it begs the question, you know, last year when they re- first talked about this movie, they revealed this at San Diego Comic Con, right not too long after Man of Steel came out, they said, you know, they used uh, the famous, famous lines from the book, uh, read by the actor that played the general in Man of Steel, you know, I want you to remember in your in your most private moments, you know, I beat you, or who beat you, or whatever he says. And uh, then they said, now, this is not an adaptation of Frank Miller's, <laughs> Frank Miller's work. However,
1: we're you, pulling directly from it. You
0: could have fooled me from that teaser trailer. And I know it really can't be with them setting up a Justice League and a universe, but, man, that sure looked like it was pulled straight from Frank Miller, but... It did indeed look good. So, you know, I I have... uh, I I reserve judgment. I do too. I'm not going to say it looks... I will say this. It was exciting. You know, it looked good. And, uh, you know, the the 12-year-old fanboy in me would love to see that on the screen. Now, you know, there's a part of me that, as much as I love The Dark Knight Returns for what it is, I kind of wish that every other comic creator that came up after it didn't try to redo it. Mm. Especially in the ongoing narrative, because I think it took comics in a direction that I wish they hadn't went in.
1: Right, the darkness. Uh, the darkness
0: yeah. and, and the grim and grittiness and everything. And and also, it did irreparable, Irreparable. I can't say that word, damage to the character Superman. <laughs> because it just made Superman uncool, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's kind of weird that in a sequel, that, that a movie that was originally announced to be a sequel to Man of Steel you know, Superman's already being painted as the bad guy, you know. Or a dupe. Yeah, something. So, but anyway, along those same lines, we saw our first picture of uh, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. You know, she looked pretty good. The, the one complaint that I've heard most people say is her costume colors seem very muted. Mm-hmm. But that could just be they put a photo out in those very sepia, rusty, red tones.
1: Right, You know,
0: rusty brown. It's not even red, but uh, because the picture... It might
1: have a color wash on it.
0: Right. The picture of Ben Affleck Affleck as Batman was all gray tones. Yeah. So, you know, this was very fiery. It looks like she's standing on some, uh, you know, battleground. Very, you know, almost looks like apocalypse or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it could very well be that she has a more traditional colors. But her outfit looks pretty good, I thought. You know, bringing in different various... Uh, Wonder Woman elements. Not Again,
1: look, I'm reserving judgment.
0: Reserving judgment doesn't suck. You know, you're not like, you know, you looked at it and said, okay, that's Wonder Woman. You know, some people said, oh, it's Xena, the movie. Well, you know, Xena borrowed quite a bit from Wonder Woman. Exactly. So, you know, it's, you know, if you borrow back a little bit. Another thing that may be related to this, uh, this was a little bit before Comic Con, and I don't even know if I talked to you about this. I don't, I think I didn't, I intentionally. Didn't talk to you about this so I could kind of get your reaction on 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 air, but uh, Dwayne Johnson, aka The Rock, okay. was interviewed uh, by uh, I think it was Total Film Magazine. They were interviewing him. I saw a clip. About, you know was, he's out promoting this Hercules movie, but they asked him. They said, you know, you've you know the rumors are going around. You know you've been talking to DC about playing a character, you know, what can you tell us about that? And and he said, you know, yes, you know, I have been trying to work out something with DC. And he was kind of started, you know, getting coy and he was laughing. And he was like, he was trying to figure out what he could tell the guy without Revealing, saying too yeah. much. But he did say that the, the character that they had in mind was as powerful as Superman. And then he kind of started to clam up, but he said, I'll just say, you know, you just, just one word, you just got to say it. One word, so that pretty much comes out and says Captain Marvel or Black Adam. No, I don't think it's Black Adam. I think they're gonna have him play Captain Marvel, or as they call him now, Shazam. (laughs) You know, you know, I can get behind that. You know, some I know that brings up a lot of people that you know, well, it's the ethnicity and this and that isn't the same as a comic character, but he's got a boyish charm about him and a huge muscled body. He's already...
1: And he's hot!
0: Yeah, well, I know you think he's hot, but he's already
1: <laughs> <Sorry>. He's already
0: <laughs> the type of guy... Like, if you were a little kid, you could say Shazam, you'd want to turn into The Rock. Right. Or maybe John Cena, but he can't act. You know, <laughs> at all. I'm not saying The Rock's Lawrence Olivier, but he can carry a movie, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it works for me. I hope if they do do it, they keep some lighthearted tone to it, because that is essential... To that character. Yeah. I mean, the Captain Marvel books of the 40s were very, through the 50s, were very whimsical. Uh, You know, maybe DC tried to make them keep that whimsy too much when they revived him in the 70s. They definitely went in the wrong directions uh, in recent years with him. But I think, uh, you know, that would be, I think it would work. And you know what, DC? Go read Jerry Ordway's Power of Shazam graphic novel that launched that series. Just make that into a movie. There you go. (laughs) So,
1: <laughs> And the reason I said that about Black Adam was because of the ethnicity. Well, because he was...
0: That his that has come up, too. You know, well, he would play... But, but if you put him as Black Adam, who's going to play Captain Marvel? You know, I mean, who's going to equal his... I mean, because I can tell you... Now, the G.I. Joe movie, the sequel, was a lot better than the first. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but it's entertaining, and I don't think you've seen it.
1: No, I
0: haven't. But he carried that movie pretty well. And Bruce Willis was in that movie, and he he held his own against Bruce Willis. And, you know, Bruce Willis is... You a
1: know, powerhouse. Is,
0: he's done. He's, he's been a bankable Hollywood star, you know. And, and I just don't know who they put, you know, as Captain Marvel. That's a case where he would totally swallow up whoever they was playing Captain Marvel. So I think that's... Uh,
1: well, you know that, but yeah. that was my reason.
0: yeah, yeah. I know that name was band. He, he was bandied about with that too. But so uh, the other, the only other thing that a uh, couple, well, a couple other things that uh, popped out. I, I don't have any. Uh, you know, I, all I know is on this is very little. But apparently, Bruce Timm is coming back to do a Justice League animated movie. Uh, I think he's you know is producing directing it to be released next year. Animated film, direct video. Hey. I I don't know if that's in. I'm hoping it's possibly in the old Justice League continuity. Yeah, not you know the new, then the the recent ones that are like the new 52 version, mm-hmm. which you know I have really no interest in. So hopefully they'll let him do the cl- if not if not the Justice League that he worked on, but at least a more classic Justice League. I think it's called Justice League God Gods and Monsters. So it'd be interesting. You would assume it almost has to have something to do with. Dark Side, Apocalypse, but you know, who knows. You were talking about Barbies and Mattel. The one thing I did, you know, I I used to, when San Diego Comic Con would happen, I would just, like, basically get a pen and start writing down things I wanted to buy, toy-wise. I've, I've, I've I've really scaled back how much I buy over the years, and just I've ran out of, you know, we're at saturation level in our house. For display, For display, and, you know, you get kids and you want to spend money on them, and 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 not you know and, and you want to eat and things like that you don't buy as much you're more selective about what you buy but the one one thing that definitely popped out at me was uh, uh, Mattel has been doing a 66 Batman line in six inch scale when they first brought it out you know there was a lot of talk uh, when the, all the 66 Batman product came out you know you weren't seeing anything with Batgirl in it and uh, you know it quickly came up that Yvonne Craig we played Batgirl, obviously in the 60s Batman TV series, had not signed a deal with Warner Brothers to license her image. We were all pretty much thinking, well, we're never going to get you know Yvonne Craig, Batgirl, anything. Yeah. And then she did sign. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to get some stuff, but some things appear to have already come and gone. And there was a rep from Mattel like right as the line was shipping, the six-inch figures were shipping, Some rep from Mattel, who should have been fired immediately afterwards, said, well, we have no further plans for that line. So that pretty much told everybody, okay, this was a one done-in-one offering, and it's gone. Yeah. And, well, thank goodness it's not, because at San Diego they showed a a 6-inch Batgirl figure and a couple other things. Well,
1: which leads me to think, you know, if they showed the Yvonne Craig Batgirl figure... That they're going to also hopefully come out with a Yvonne Craig Batgirl Barbie now, but you have to mm. think a Bat uh, excuse me a Barbie for development process minimum is eighteen months. Okay, well, so I mean that's general rule of thumb is eighteen months from conception out. So I'm wondering when she signed, and if that's the case, is this something we might see towards the end of this year, or maybe early, re- early excuse me early release for next year?
0: I don't know. It's you know, and and that's a good point because they did make Batman and Catwoman, right? Adam West Batman and I, I guess, supposed to be Julie Newmar Catwoman. Although I, th- I thought it looked more like Lee Merriweather, the way they had her hair, but that's just me. But uh, but anyway, it was a '66 Batman Catwoman and as Barbie as Catwoman. And they've done. They've done relatively
1: well. I mean, yes, they're still available from Barbie Collector, but they haven't discounted them any
0: either. Well, that's good. So
1: that tells me that they're still selling at a comparable rate.
0: Well, and of course, while we're talking about that, it, it had already there had already been news of it, but it was officially announced that the 66 Batman TV series will finally be released on home video. Well, it's not really home video anymore, but DVD, Blu-ray, streaming, blah, 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 all that stuff. November 11th. November 11th, and it's coming out in a big fancy Blu-ray set with a die-cast Batmobile and a bunch of extra stuff. And uh, I'm a now sucker. Now that's
1: with the Blu-ray version.
0: That's with the Blu-ray version, and I'm a sucker and, you know, went ahead and pre-ordered it. But, uh, you know, that, there's not very many things I'd jump in that deep with, but, you know, if you crack my skull open, Adam West and Burt Ward would come running out of it, you know, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm... then
1: pictures of me and the kids.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think that'll do for our Comic-Con-esque ramblings, and we're going to take a little break and uh, come back, and then we're going to jump into the subject of our episode, which is, Who is Donna Troy? Hi, I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcasts and The Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live action versions of comic book characters and I'm calling them Legends of the Superheroes. In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like Doctor David Banner and let's not forget about the non-superheroes such as
1: Swamp Thing
0: and William Buck Rogers. And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcasts at 2TrueFreaks.com. Here come the King Titans, a quartet
1: of towering talents: Kid Flash, whose speed defies the eye to follow. Wonder Girl, swift and powerful super lass. Speedy, whose fantastic arrows
0: perform awesome feats. Aquaman, bold and daring, marine marvel, fabulous foursome for right against might, the Teen Titans. Okay, so we're back. Like I said, we're going dis- to be discussing a uh, classic issue of the New Teen Titans, issue number thirty-eight, and the story is titled "Who Is Donna Troy," and we'll get into the details of that specific issue momentarily. But uh, before we get into that, I think it's it's probably best to kind of examine who is the character of Wonder Girl, which is Donna Troy's you know, superhero name. Because Wonder Girl has a very, very convoluted history. You think? And that's even before. I know many of you know, oh, yeah, that Crisis screwed her history up. And well, no, that that's true. But she had a jacked up history before <laughs> Crisis was ever even thought of. Basically, she is a character that is a retcon. I mean, she is a... not walking, because she's not real, but within the DC Universe, she's a walking retcon to begin with. Basically, Wonder Girl started out as Wonder Woman as a kid, just like Superboy was Superman as a kid. Right. Wonder Woman as Wonder Girl debuted in Wonder Woman number 105 of in April of 1959 uh, by Robert Kaniger, Ross Andrew, and Mike Esposito. They were the team on the Wonder Woman book at the time. Robert Kaniger had basically taken over from uh, William Moulton Marston uh, when he passed away and wrote Wonder Woman from the late Golden Age up through the mid-Silver Age. I mean, he was the editor, too, uh, for a good chunk of that. So he started introducing stories of Wonder Woman as a kid, you know, just like Superman and Superboy, set on Paradise Island in the past, Made sense. I think at first she didn't have a costume, and then she she got you know basically a, a younger version of her Wonder Woman outfit with the red top and the blue, and I think she had a skirt to begin with, and then changed the shorts. She basically she looked like. Eventually, she looked like the original version of the Teen Titans Wonder Girl, which we'll get into. But uh, then they did something really strange with Wonder Girl because they also introduced. Wonder Tot, which yeah. was Wonder Woman as a baby, just like they had done with Superman when he was Super Baby. They did a few, they did one story that was called like The Impossible, Impossible Day or something like that. And it was Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl, Wonder Tot, and Queen Hippolyta and uh, in a story together existing simultaneously in Wonder Woman number 124 in August of
1: 1961. Which would lead, uh, a- Somebody just passing through. Oh, there's three separate characters.
0: Right. Well, and they kept doing that. It wasn't just the one time. I guess that... How did you know, they
1: explain it away? I
0: think later on, they just didn't explain it away. <laughs> so it just kept happening. And Wonder Girl actually got popular enough that she took over the, the cover spot and the, uh, actually had her name bigger on the title than Wonder Woman. It's like Wonder Woman presents Wonder Girl for a few issues here and there. You know, she kept appearing off and on, you know, as Wonder Girl in solo stories and in these team ups with herself. It didn't take much for other people in the D.C. office to just assume she was a separate character. Robin, Kid Flash and Aqualad had teamed up in an issue of Brave and the Bold, uh, number 54, written by uh, Bob Haney and drawn by uh, Bruno uh, Primani. I'm probably spelling his name wrong. Uh, pronouncing the brain wrong. A few issues later, in Brave and the Bold number 60, they decided to revive that idea and actually give them a name. And that was the debut of the Teen Titans. But to fill it out and make it more team-like, they pulled in Wonder Girl. Well, Wonder Girl is shown in that issue, number 60, June-July 1965, flying away from Paradise Island, waving goodbye to Wonder Woman. And Queen Hippolyta. So she
1: waves goodbye to herself. She
0: waves goodbye to herself. And, uh, you know, they thought she was a separate character. They assumed she was a contemporary of Wonder Woman that was some kind of sidekick. Right. And they put her in the Teen Titans. The Teen Titans had a few more, I think they had one more tryout book. And then they got their own title. While that was, before they got their own title, Kaniger had decided in the Wonder Woman book to fire... His supporting cast. I mean, he literally. It shows. I've seen the panel. It shows Wonder Girl, Wonder Tot, and all these. There was like a Mer Boy and a Bird Boy, and And he literally fires them from the book. It's like a very. I mean, it's like something Grant Morrison would do. It's very surreal.
1: Kind of third wall. Fourth wall wall breaking. Yeah, Yeah. fourth Fourth
0: wall breaking. Yeah, definitely. And he actually dialed things back and, and set things in the Golden Age. Um, it's like, you know, the comics, comics, golden age revisited and all this, that, this, you know, the, uh, fandom was coming up in the mid sixties and, you know, the terms golden age, silver age were being used, you know? And, uh, so he jettisoned all those characters. Well, you know, the Titans guys had wonder girl. They started the teen Titan book and, you know, fans were writing in saying, Hey, who is this wonder girl? She shouldn't exist. And not only that, but they got rid of her in the Wonder woman book. You know, what's the deal? Uh, so letters were coming in, you know, who she was. And George Caston, who was the editor of the Titans book, uh, said, you know, well, what you know, what, what do you guys think, basically? He basically asked somebody to come up with an explanation. Uh, and this uh, fan named Harry Rydler wrote in and suggested that Wonder Girl was another child formed from clay, by a lonely Hippolyta to replace Wonder Woman, who was, you know, off fighting crime in Man's World. He actually accepted that explanation in a letter column. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't in a story, but according to him, hey, you know, it works. Well, George Cashton left, and Dick Giordano came over from Charlton Comics and became editor of the Titans title. And he started using other writers in addition to Haney. And one of them was a young writer by the name of Marv Wolfman.
1: I've heard of him. Uh, yeah, I
0: think so. And we'll hear more about him much a lot today. He actually wrote a story, a backup story, in Teen Titans number 22, which was from July-August 1969. And he developed the backstory for Wonder Girl that we know today. Uh, she was found in a burning building by Wonder Woman. Uh, she had no idea who she was before that. She was brought to Paradise Island, raised by Queen Hippolyta. Wonder Woman was basically her adoptive sister. Apollo was ado- her adoptive mother. And, you know, so they just fabricated this backstory and shoehorned it into Wonder Woman's history. Therefore, she's a retcon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they, he gave her the name Donna Troy. She went and got an apartment with the, the Titans, helped her out. She had been living at the Titans headquarters because the Amazons at that point had left Earth because that was during Wonder Woman's powerless Emma Peel phase, you know, oh, the karate yeah. chopping white suited phase. And so Wonder Girl still had her powers, but she had nowhere to stay. So she was like basically squatting at the Titans lair. They've got her set up with a roommate in an apartment. And she, at the end of that story, she comes up with her red jumpsuit outfit, which is pretty much the one she wears with some modifications in the new Teen Titans run. We'll revisit all that later. But uh, when we get into the actual story real quick, before we do that, interesting a couple more interesting Wonder Girl factoids. Uh, She actually made it onto TV before Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. because she was part of the Teen Titans segments on the uh, 1967 Superman Aquaman Hour of Adventure cartoon which was done by Filmation. Uh, Filmation also had a Wonder Woman series in development as part of a show that had like Metamorpho and I think the Blackhawks maybe but it never went anywhere. Uh, But so she did meet Wonder Woman on the TV which is strange. She also, a version of Wonder Girl, joined Wonder Woman on the a few episodes of the Wonder Woman TV show in the seventies, which of course starred Linda Carter. She was named Drusilla, not Donna, and she was actually Wonder Woman's sister and she was played by future, you know, famous Academy Award winning or at least nominated actress. I can't I didn't look that up. But Deborah Winger, who's known for terms of endearment and officer and a gentleman and you know those type and of and she
1: was so stiff as Drew Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm sorry. She was cute. You know again, <laughs> Linda Carter, Deborah Winger, no contest.
0: Oh, no, well, and she looked very self conscious in the. That's outfit. what I'm saying. Yeah, is. yeah. Well, I, you know it, that you just you can't. We've talked about that before. You cannot. They either have that in them or they don't. The actor that plays the super Linda Carter, the end. Yeah. Well, you're right. Of course I am. But it was it was those episodes are fun. They're, she's they're, they're fine. And I'm fine. just saying, and I wish and they the kept part. her on there. You know, had her show up. But after the World War II episodes, I don't think she ever showed up again. Yeah. I don't. I haven't watched the '70s ones that closely in my adult years. But leading up to this, this story, uh, you know, the Teen Titans ran through the early '70s. It got canceled. It came back in the mid-70s, got canceled, and then Marv Wolfman had been at Marvel. He had been editor-in-chief. He had written Tomb of Dracula. He'd written Spider-Man. He'd written the Fantastic Four. So it was a big, huge coup for DC to get him because DC was struggling in sales. So he came over, and Lynn Wein had been an editor. He'd been a writer-editor at Marvel and had come over to DC, and they... Pitched a new a new Teen Titans series to Jeanette Kahn, who was the president publisher, or maybe she was just publisher. I don't, know, I don't remember, but uh, she was basically in charge. You know, she's like, "Are you guys crazy? This has failed." And it's like, "Well, we can do it right." And they got in George Perez, who was hot on the Avengers at Marvel. New Teen Titans took off. It was DC's top selling book for years. It you know it outsold everything basically. And then DC tried to you know basically duplicate its success with teams like. The Outsiders, Infinity Incorporated. They even try to turn the JLA into a Teen Titans type group with the Detroit Justice League and things. In that very first issue of New Teen Titans, Wonder Girl is shown digging through the rubble of that building that she was found in, looking for clues to her identity. Wolfman is picking up the threads that he had sewn 11 years earlier. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, three years, four years later, uh, almost, he'll finally pay those off in this issue. The, now that we get to the comic we're actually going to talk about today, that is, as I said, New Teen Titans, number 38, from January 1984. The story is titled, Who is Donna Troy? And uh, I'll let my lovely wife take over from there.
1: Okay. The script was by Marv Wolfman, from a plot by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Art by George Perez and Romeo Tangal
0: Tangal Tangau, I think. Tangau, I think. I, I don't know. I, 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 that's close. Okay.
1: <laughs> Lettering by Ben Oda, coloring by Adrian Roy, and edited by Lynn Wien. In his office, Dick, Robin Grayson, records a pers- personnel case file and recalls meeting with Terry Long, fiancé of his Teen Titans teammate Donna Troy, a.k.a. Wonder Girl. Terry wants to hire Robin to solve the mystery of Donna's past. Robin agrees, but chooses to confer with Donna first. She tells him again all she remembers of her life before Paradise Island. She barely recalls being being excuse me, being in a burning building next to two lifeless bodies, and then Wonder Woman rescuing her from the blaze. There was no record of anyone renting the apartment, so there's no trace of who Donna was or how or why she was there. Wonder Woman then took the child to her home of Paradise Island, where she was raised by her mother, Queen Hippolyta. Eventually the Amazons were able to gift Donna with their superhuman abilities via their the miraculous purple ray. After getting Donna's consent to pursue the case, Robin agrees to take it as an engagement present. So he's kind of, you know, taking the easy way out. Don't want to go shopping. And he's so rich. He's, you know.
0: <laughs> he's loaded. He's the heir to one of the richest men in the world. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm not going to do that. But at Ryan, that, he does some travel. So you know, At but that yeah. time,
0: the only heir before all these other Robins started cropping up.
1: But anyway... <laughs> Rummaging through the rubble of the condemned building, Robin finds... Now, I have a problem with that. Rummaging through the rubble of the condemned building. That happened, you know, 15, 20 years previously, and the rubble's still laying around. (laughs) Wouldn't it have been cleared away by that?
0: I can't... Yeah, it kind of (laughs) makes you wonder, though.
1: Yeah, but anyway. He finds a box containing a rag doll in an old cold chute. Donna feels a connection to the doll, but has no idea why. The two Teen Titans visit the widow of the building owner, but learn nothing there. Using skills he learned from Batman, Dick manages to piece together some fabric scraps found in the box. The fabric seems to read, hello, my name is Donna. He also recovers long faded writing on the doll, pointing to a toy shop in Newport News, Virginia. Uncle Max, the shop owner, recalls repairing the doll for Mrs. Cassidy, formerly of Willowbrook Orphanage. He he tells Dick of how Willowbrook was closed down years ago due to a child slavery scandal. Investigating the scandal, Dick discovers that Cassidy was found innocent of all charges, but her lawyer, William Harrison, was sent to prison. He goes in search of Miss Cassidy, and a former gardener at the orphanage points him toward a nursing home in Florida. He and Donna arrive at the nursing home to meet a despondent, Elmira Cassidy, who, according to the staff, rarely speaks. Upon seeing the rag doll, the old woman blurts out, Donna! The now, hmm, how convenient, verbose Elmira relates how Donna's mother, Dorothy Hinckley, brought her to the orphanage along with her doll. Dorothy was terminally ill with cancer and wanted Donna to find a good home. Donna was quickly adopted by a couple named Stacy. Upon hearing that name, Donna remembers her adoptive parents and feels satisfied that the case is closed. She vows to visit Miss Cassidy often, now considering her family. Dick, however, knows there are still many unanswered questions. Dick and Donna return to the town of Newport News, and Donna is suddenly overcome by the familiarity of the place while driving through town. Stopping at a suburban home, Donna feels she has found her former home. There, she is reunited with her adoptive mother, Faye Stacy, now Evans, much to the surprise of her current husband and teenage children. Faye explains how her first husband, Carl, died in a job accident two years after they adopted Donna. Unable to make ends meet, she was forced to give Donna up. Okay, I have a problem right there with this.
0: Okay.
1: Because Donna is suddenly overcome and she's stopping at this suburban house. Now, you think about this. The woman was able to keep her house but couldn't keep her child because it's apparently the same house Donna remembers from her own childhood. Hmm... She was able to keep the house, but she gave up her child. <laughs> now, I'm sorry, but that's a problem.
0: <laughs> Why do you do these things, these stories? Dang it. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead.
1: Anyway, um, unable to make ends meet, she gave up her child instead of her house. <laughs> and she went to um, Harrison, um, who was Willowbrook's, The excuse me, she went to Willowbrook's orphanage and Harrison, their lawyer, brokered a deal. This releases another set of memories for Donna, who suddenly recalls the people who died beside her in the fire. She couldn't fathom why such abusive people would want to to adopt a child. The Evanses welcomed Donna as a new member of their family, and Faye retrieves scrapbooks containing photos of Donna as a child that she had kept hidden from her family for years, ashamed of what she had been forced to do. Uh, sell her house first, but anyway... Um, Ever the detectives Dick still has A few pieces Of the puzzle Left to put together As Robin He visits Harrison The lawyer In prison After some pressure From the Team wonder Well of course You know He was trained by Batman Of course he can play Bad cop Mm. Harrison squeals That the couple That died in the fire Were go-betweens Working for him And only pretended To be Donna's parents They were waiting In the apartment To sell her illegally To a prospective Set of parents For $20,000 When the furnace Exploded Donna visits the grave of her birth mother, and Dick presents her with a restored doll courtesy of Uncle Max.
0: Very good. And now you've ruined this story for me, thank you.. No,
1: I'm, just <laughs> I'm sorry. Well let's but- get
0: back to that in a minute when we get to that point. Uh, but yeah, good good call on that. This, on a personal note, this story, just real quick, and I didn't even put this in our notes, the New Teen Titans book, I remember seeing advertisement advertisements for it when it was going to start. They put little things at the bottom. The Teen Titans are, New Teen Titans are coming and they show, sometimes they show a pic of like Robin and Kid Flash. I'm like, oh, I know who Robin, of course I know who Robin is. And okay, I know who Kid Flash is. And then they show like Cyborg and Starfire. I'm like, who the crap are these people? You know, I was five. So, and then I never saw it. I never saw the book. It's like, did it come? You know, I just forgot about it. I can't remember if I got, they did a digest that reprinted, that had a new New Teen Titans story that had the new team meet Speedy and Aqualad, and then it reprinted a bunch of old Teen Titan story. So I had that, and then, like, the first issue I got was when they were, like, avenging the Doom Patrol. And so that was, like, 13, 14, something like that. And then, eventually, you know, I figured, uh, I, I found a few here and there, but I I didn't find this book until a few years later and filled in the gaps, but I had already heard about how, you know, how great this story was and and how different. And, you know, it it really is a standout story. It's a very unusual story, even for that time. And uh, we'll we'll talk about that more as we go along. The story came about because George Perez uh, wanted to feature Robin in a detective story.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, of course, Marv Wolfman had set up Donna's, you know, mysterious backstory back in 1969. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, nobody else did anything with it. Mm. Uh, you know, even though Teen Titans went on for years and was canceled for a while and then came back, but nobody ever did anything with it. Uh, they introduced Lilith, and her hook was she was trying to find out her backstory. So I guess maybe that's why they didn't...
1: Right, they didn't want to copy that, Yeah. do that same storyline again.
0: Yeah. Uh, Wolfman and Perez both consider this story one of the highlights of this run, and in fact of their careers. And, you know, you, can't, you can understand why. This, this book had a uh, painted cover... Which was very unusual for DC at the time, although Perez had done one on the New Teen Titans Annual Number One, but you, didn't, you just didn't see that very often on on DC books, especially. The epilogue and prologue to this story, they have a very film noir feel to it, you know, silent, uh, lots of it's very cinematic, lots of shadow. It's it's just very well done. It's very moody. Perez has gone on record uh, saying he wished he had inked the whole book because he inked that the, the epilogue and and the prologue and the epilogue uh, of the uh, of the book. Uh, but he, he Romeo Tangal inked the rest. He was his regular inker. But in everything I've read, while Perez has great things to say about Tangal, he feels like their styles were kind of going in two different directions.
1: They diverged.
0: Toward the end of the run, you know. I think partially because Perez had basically at this point, he was just working on New Teen Titans. He had been, you know, penciling, still working on Avengers, penciling JLA, and penciling New Teen Titans when it started. He was penciling all three books. Wow. Yeah. So he had t- Titans was such a success and they were making so much money on royalties he could afford to just go down to one, one title. Robin's very introspective at the beginning of this story. Terry Long finds him just staring out at the beach. He meets him there. This is just an issue before he relinquishes his Robin identity. And in that same month, in the Batman title, hands his costume over to Jason Todd, the first version, that was a circus acrobat just like Dick, not the street thug that stole tires off the car. Batmobile. Uh, <laughs> one thing I, I noticed when looking over this for the notes, and this is something I guess I, I, I really feel, and I really feel bad about this, as somebody who feels like they know quite a bit about comics history and and mechanics of comic storytelling and you know, I've drawn several comic stories myself. The flashbacks are all done in rounded corners. The panels mm-hmm. are round. That is like a shorthand for comics for a flashback. And it wasn't until probably about ten years ago that I really heard somebody say that. I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh I blame the Super Friends comic. Because the Super Friends comic I bought when I was a kid. And the panels were always rounded in that because I guess it would look like a TV screen.
1: Oh yeah.
0: And so I just, I guess I just thought some comic books look like that. You know, <laughs> So I think I was part of it. So Terry Long was introduced early on in the new teen Titans series as Donna's boyfriend. And then quickly his, they got engaged. He always gets a lot of crap from fans. Uh, you know, they make fun of his perm beard. You know, he's, he dresses very, Late seventies, early eighties, uh, you know, which as much as I, uh, Perez George Perez is probably one of my favorite comic. He, he, if he's not the my favorite comic book artist of all time, he's right up there. Uh, he probably is overall. Uh, but sometimes he would. Sometimes his fashion sense was a little, a little Out a, date. a little behind. Just a few years, you know. And uh, so sometimes Terry and, you know, some of the stuff he wore was kind of like, eh, it looks a little too 70s. But uh, he got picked on a lot by fans, still does today, you know. But uh, I think the point of him, he was a normal guy. Donna was, especially by Wolfman, but even somewhat before, portrayed as almost the den mother of the Titans. She was the most mature uh, she was a professional, at this point, a professional photographer in her secret identity, which I don't know how she had one because she didn't wear a mask. She didn't wear glasses. She looked no different than right. as Dawn and Wonder Girl. But somehow she had one.
1: I always saw her as Wendy of, of Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. Oh, yeah? I mean, because, you know, Rob Robin and uh, Peter Pan, you know. Never grow up, you know the twinkle toe shoes and oh, you know. <laughs> I am mean, serious! And you know Wendy was the den mother, keeping them in line, and you got Cubby and all them, you know. Yeah,
0: well, I guess I can and see that. She,
1: you know, she was the girl, and she's kind of taking care of them. I mean, that's how I kind of saw them as Wendy and Peter Pan, and you know. Well, that
0: makes sense. I can see that. Uh, so, um, but yeah, so she, you know, it made sense for her to pick a grounded person to kind of, you know, a normal guy to ground her in reality really, to me. right. Really. And, it, and it was nice, you know, to have, you know, that you know, he was older, this and that, and he had an ex-wife, and it was it was a very, very real person to occasionally anchor all the craziness. You know, demo- demons from Raven's demonic dad, and Starfire's alien family, and her evil alien sister. and Well, I
1: mean, think about it, you know you have a lot of people that are in Hollywood and they marry quote-unquote regular people for the same reason. Exactly, yeah. You know, so...
0: Yeah, good point. You've got flashbacks to the, the story that Wolfman had written in, in Teen Titans number uh, 22 all those years ago. You know, Wonder Woman uh, rescuing Donna at age two, which they show in the flashback, which, of course, harkens back to Wolfman's story. That's, that's a bit problematic because... Wonder Woman, okay, Donna's Mm nineteen in this story. So that was seventeen years ago. So that would mean Wonder Woman would have to be in her late thirties at least.
1: See, I disagree. Okay. Because to me, Paradise Island exists out of time. What the time passage on Paradise Island, it's different than man's world. And so that to me, Donna grew up on in this continuity, Donna grew up on Paradise Island. But it didn't necessarily, same amount of time didn't pass in man's world. You know, so it's not necessarily together.
0: So you're saying while she's at Paradise Island, less time happened here? Right. Okay. I guess that's, you could no prize it that way. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. DC was stuck back then saying that Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman were like, you know, they were, uh, sometimes they said they were like 28. Other times it was 30. You know, but they weren't older than 30. You know, right. that was a cap. And back then, it almost actually worked because, you know, the sidekicks hadn't aged that right. much. Like, if you say, you know, well, if you use Dick as the standard and say that, okay, he's 19 now. And I know some stories said he was 8. Some said he was 10. I Let's say he was 12 when he became Robin. Yeah. But, please, <laughs> that's, that's a little bit easier to swallow. So that just gives you, you know, seven years for, you know, time to have elapsed. And, you know, that you can almost, before all this other baggage showed up that, on it, right. it would almost work. But then you got, uh, I think we're getting way off track here, but there was a story in, uh, I think it was Justice League number 144. Rob could tell you because he knows every Justice League of America issue. It told the untold origin of the Justice League, which was basically the pre-origin where the characters met and teamed up most of the characters with other DC characters of the time. It was basically how they met the Martian Manhunter before they formed the Justice League. It involved a Martian invasion. But the whole hook of it was that the story, this was printed, I think, in 77, 78, something like that, that the story actually really took place in 1959 when it would have been printed had it been. So it was like... They just basically said time doesn't elapse the same way it does on Earth 1. Time doesn't elapse the same way it does on, in, the, in the real world or Earth Prime or whatever. So you could figure that into this, too, if you wanted to, you know. But I never liked that explanation. I think you just slide the dates up, you know. You just that sliding time scale. But.
1: Well, I mean, with Wonder Woman and stuff like this, to me, you know, Wonder Woman is on, in man's world... Whereas on Paradise Island, you know, everybody doesn't age because, you know, they're yeah, Amazons. Right. But Donna grows up, so she's on Paradise Island and time passes. But in the meantime, Wonder Woman's in our world where time isn't passing as quickly.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's expl- explanations about as good as any. So. Well,
1: it's comic, so let it go. Yeah,
0: we're just going to let it go. Uh, you get an appearance by Paula in her purple ray. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on Earth 2, Paula was a Nazi villainess that Wonder Woman course, yeah. uh, reformed uh, mm-hmm. on Earth 1. I don't think they, you know, brought that up because, you know, Wonder Woman wasn't supposed to. Now, see, that, this would work in a, it, you know, oddly enough, this storyline would work in a timeline if Wonder Woman, had, like on the TV show where she fought crime in World War Two and then left and then came back in the present. That would have worked in a in a uh, timeline similar to that, but oddly enough, when they merged the Earth One and Earth Two timelines, they had Wonder Woman show up like now, you know, right after Wonder Girl, which we'll get to, which has just caused all sorts of problems for that character. Robin has a line about Donna never seeming as linked to her mentor as he was to Batman, and that's because their links are artificial. Uh, <laughs> you know, they were never partners. In fact, I don't think they teamed up in a story together until the 70s. Mm -hmm. So she would show up in her book after that, but then Wonder Woman was in her powerless phase when they were really starting to develop her as her own character, and they just didn't fit. Dick admits that he could have easily fallen romantically for Donna. There's kind of this, Wolfman plays with this, and then other writers did too, but there's this undercurrent of a love that's maybe even deeper than a than a romantic love, you know, right. but there's, there's always that little hint there. He, I think Dick, Dick gives her away at her wedding. I in, think so. in number 50 tells the Teen Titans number 50. And there's, there's a couple of moments between them where they're like, Perez does a real good job of, you know, having them look at each other. Kind of like there's, it, it's just played out really well. Very subtle, you know, for a the road, not taken. Exactly. But for a superhero comic, very well done. So Dick, uh, Dick uses his detective skills, to decipher the words on the fabric on the doll and stuff. I thought that was really cool. They do a really good job of, of showing him really at work. It's not just like, Oh, I've, you know, I found this. I mean, it shows. Well, him- and
1: it's actual, it's actually something that could work because there are things that you can do to treat fabric, to treat a painting, to treat whatever, yeah. to make the words come to the surface. Right. I mean, it's not some made up, sh- Comic book flim flammy, yeah, you know, jump. This is actually something that could happen. Yeah. yeah,
0: this is this is them, this is Marv Wolfman doing some research mm-hmm. into detective work. It's not uh, <laughs> comic it's, book flim flammy. it's not comic book flim flam or TV show flim flamming, you know, connected to comic books where Chloe suddenly can pull up anything on a computer or something, you know, yeah, or there something you go. in two seconds or something like that. Perez, throughout the, the throughout this book, you know, there, there's no there's no four. I, demons, there's no death stroke Terminators, uh, other than Dick and Donna in their costumes. These are all normal people. So he does a really great job with, uh, with all the regular people in this book. You know, Uncle Max, the toy maker, mm-hmm. uh, the guy that runs a toy shop. The gardener that comes in to tell Dick, uh, you know, ask him, why are you asking for Miss Cassidy? Miss Cassidy herself, she looks like an old, a despondent old woman sitting in a nursing home. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you're... Perez is the cream of the crop of comic superhero comic book artists. But clearly, the guy's got chops. He knows how to draw. Mm-hmm. It's not just the flashy fight scenes and things. He knows how to draw real people. And it really works out well in this story. So, I've talked about the flashbacks. He does flashbacks within the flashback. Like when Mrs. Cassidy is
1: thinking back. thinking
0: back to when Donna's mother, Dorothy, Dropped her off, gave her up. He puts like an extra, like, thick border, like a double line border around it. So it's just like, there's like some really crazy comic book mechanics going on in this story, but it works. Uh, and of course, the scene with Miss Casty is really, as I said, real well done, real powerful. <laughs> Donna in her house. <laughs> the problem I had with that was like, okay, her remembering the house maybe a little too much you know exactly you know like I, I know where to go you know yeah, she was two she was two and you know my kids don't remember you know where the they don't remember how to get to Walmart you know but <laughs> from, 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 is this where we go to go we go here like at least two or three times a week uh, but, but anyway I
1: think I raised a really good point Yeah, you, I really do
0: you do why, why did she still have that house well let's see can we come up with a reason why she would still have that house Uh, well, no, because even if it was her, like a family home and it was deeded to her or, you know, left to her, she could sell it to keep her kid and live in an apartment somewhere or, or, you know, go move in. And it was a
1: nice house in a nice neighborhood. So, I mean, move to a not quite so nice neighborhood and keep your baby. Yeah. Duh.
0: Well, you get the impression she was kind of manipulated by the lawyer.
1: And then why didn't he take the house? <laughs> he could have got more for the house than twenty thousand dollars for the kid.
0: <laughs> okay. You found a plot hole. Uh,
1: uh, <laughs> a plot hole, a plot house.
0: A plot house. A plot money a mo- a plot money pit. There you go. Uh
1: huh.
0: The scene where Donna and her
1: <laughs> you're just changing the yeah, subject we're aren't, gonna aren't change you? The
0: subject. The scene where Donna and her mother, her adoptive mother. That made, was
1: done nicely. Very
0: nicely done. I mean, like I Even said. Even though
1: she suddenly loves her more than the house. but you know.
0: <laughs> That was a very nice house. You know, it's like. Uh, <laughs> you know what the property value is? <laughs> I, I'm telling you. <laughs> but the, the, the power of them two, like impacting and hugging. I mean, that's, you know, that's just like. Uh, you know, it's got all the, all the energy and the power and the emotional impact of anything Perez would draw in, like Crisis on Infinite Earth or you know, I mean, like you know, it's it's just it's it's just so damn well well done. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just it, he can he can he can do it all. You know, so yeah, he does a great job, and you can't overlook Wolfman wrote this story, but the fact the fact that these guys made this work. In a comic book, and it's a, and we'll get to that at at the end, but this very private, very personal story work and be so emotionally impactful says a lot. You know, it just shows you what this, you know, this art form can do, even in a superhero comic. You know, I mean, a lot of this type of stuff happens in independent comics, but not in superhero comics very often. Show Dick, he goes and, and tries to get some information out of the lawyer, which he does in prison. And it's kind of nice because he's like, you know, why should I tell you? He's like, well, you know, we've got, uh, we know some people in this prison. If, you know, they find out that, uh, you know, you're, you're my informant, it could get really ugly for you. <laughs> it's yeah, like, we've put some people away here. They don't like us and they find out you like us. You're in deep dog, dude sucker. You know, and Perez was one of the few guys that could draw the, uh, teen wonder dick in the classic costume and make it look intimidating. He made him look cool in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you forgot that he had pixie boots and, and things like that on. I mean, he looked good, you know. So so we didn't get that in a synopsis because it was kind of hard to synopsize. But Dick, at one point, says when he's down and stuff, he thinks about Starfire, it makes him feel better. And at the end, he's looking at a picture of her on his desk, and he calls her, mm-hmm. uh, which was nice. It was a nice touch. So it was just a great, uh, very personal private story. They did a few more quiet type stories like this in, in their new teen Titans run. It started out in, in issue number eight, which was a call to day in the lives. And it was all these little vignettes of the different members, what they were doing basically on a slow day on their day off, which was, I think that might be the first time you see Terry. I think might be starfire meets him there. I know this was the, the new teen Titans run at its zenith. That's in a few issues. They'd start the Judas contract, and that is a phenomenal storyline. Of course, that's the one everybody always thinks of with this title. And after that, you know, Wolfman and Perez stayed on it together for a while. It was never quite the same, partially because because of the success of this, DC decided that they basically wanted to milk the cow dry, and <laughs> they started up another new Teen Titans title. That was a uh, direct, uh, direct comic shop only title, printed on nicer paper, which appealed to Perez, uh, made his artwork look better. They simultaneously did the the original series, which they renamed Tales of the Teen Titans, and this new series for a year, and then the uh, the original book started reprinting the direct-only book so you could get it on the newsstand, you know, because, like, somebody like me, I didn't have access to no, comic shop. That's how yeah. I was, so I was reading the stories, like, a year later at some point, but kind of sucks. The Evans and Mrs. Cassidy attended Donna's wedding in Tales of the Teen Titans number 50, which was another great, very quiet, very non-superhero-y story. No villains crashed the wedding. No one appeared in costume except Raven, who was basically lamenting that she couldn't, be there because this was like two seconds before Raven went back crap under Trigon in the new New Teen Titans number one, mm. and they did the big Trigon story in that book. But she was the only character in costume. Everybody else was in tuxedos and gowns and things. So the and her uh,
1: dress is so pretty. Yeah, I love her dress. I
0: think her dress her dress was designed by George Perez George Perez's wife.
1: Really, uh,
0: Carol Flynn I think's her name.
1: But that her dress is so pretty. Yeah, in that. it really is. And
0: she actually is in the book as the designer, but that I don't know if they were married then, but they were at least dating, but they're still married today. That's, oh, that's George okay. Perez's wife. And if you're ever at a comic convention, go talk to George Perez. You will never meet a nicer He is guy. a
1: super nice guy.
0: I got a Nightwing head sketch off of him and he was doing the head sketches. He I think he usually does them for charity. And uh, I got a Nightwing off him which is just freaking awesome. And he's got the collars, the original Nightwing costume. And I actually gave him more money than what he was charging. And just because it was great. And it was going to charity. He, like, literally grabbed me around the <laughs> neck and hugged me. And Cindy snapped the picture. So there's this great picture of George Perez hugging me. If I think about it, I'll put it up when, yeah, I, you should. when I put this episode up. It's, it's great. It hangs on the wall with pride and in the house, you know. Unfortunately, <laughs> not too long after this, parts of this story were were made null and void by Wolfman and Perez themselves, who in their Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, series they did, of course, we've talked about this before, and everybody listening to this knows what Crisis is, but it, uh, you know, restarted the DC universe and uh, combined all the separate Earths into one. Wonder Woman was de-evolved back into the clay she came from, and then, like we said, when she debuted, she debuted in the present of the DC Comics being published, So there was no Wonder Woman for Donna's backstory. Uh, They didn't basically explain what had happened with her until New Titans, number 50, which then second New Teen Titans series became New Titans when they finally decided, okay, they can't be teenagers anymore. Right. And that was actually at a point when George had left, George Perez had left, and then came back, and they did a a run of several issues together, did that storyline, and they gave Donna, they explained that she had been rescued by one of the titans of myth she was trained on this planet with these other titans children and that's one reason why she suggested the name teen titans it was in her subconscious and she took the code name Troya at the end of that which was a pretty cool looking costume but that name always kind of stunk <laughs> i always thought
1: uh, <laughs> that's my comment on that Wow. Um, uh.
0: Unfortunately, too, Donna and Terry eventually divorced uh, because apparently other writers just didn't get why she was married to the guy. And and apparently one of the Titans editors really just hated the character of Terry Long to the point where he just kept wanting to kill him, kill him, kill him. And then they did. They they had a son and Terry and her young son were, were killed in a car accident because, you know, that was a, you know, the DC being, you know, merciless to, You know, innocent people and children didn't just start five years ago. It was was going back into the 90s. Uh, Donna received further retconning uh, by John Byrne during his run on uh, on the Wonder Woman title. She was revealed to be the mythical twin of Wonder Woman as a child. uh, And she was basically created by um, a mystical type character on Paradise Island to give uh, Diana somebody to play with. Because she was the only kid on the island. She was the only kid on the island. And she was mistaken for Diana by this character named Dark Angel who had a grudge against Hippolyta. Hippolyta. And she did some weird wibbly wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff to her (laughs) and basically made her live all these different lives.
1: That always end in tragedy.
0: Yeah. And basically that explained a lot of the strange retconiness and, 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 and time paradoxes that Donna had, you know, experienced. It sound like, probably sounded good on paper, but it really didn't help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Donna was killed at one point, you know, just like everybody else in the DC universe. She came back. She mm-hmm. got better.
1: i tell you what, and this goes back to this other point. You know, Donna and Terry's son got killed. Yeah. And then you have poor Speedy. You know, his kid got killed. If I were ever a Teen Titan, I don't think I'd ever reproduce. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's still, that deal with Speedy's kid's just wrong. I mean, that was just wrong. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I, and my notes, I actually had Donna has yet to appear in the new 52 DC Universe, and she hadn't, but I just read the other day that in Grant Morrison's Multiversity series he's doing, there's some Earth or continuity where they're. Like the sons of the sons and daughters of the Justice League are um, involved, and Donna Troy's in there somewhere. Now I don't know what kind of version of Donna Troy it is, but apparently they are introducing a new Fifty Two version of her. So, yeah. so I'm sure it'll be nothing like she was before. And, of course, in the new 52 continuity, this these, this new Teen Titan series never happened. So your mileage may vary, but, you know, you're not going to get this Donna Troy again. So Speaking of which, you know, my final thought on this, and, you know, I'll ask you, you know, get your input on it. But I would say that a story like this, you know, it's just not going to happen in the comics, in the DC comics of today. It's, it's, in a, it's too small. It's too personal. Comics are made for the trade paperback. It would break up a trade paperback. It'd be a story in the middle of all this ongoing stuff. Yeah. You would never get... I mean, they may work it in as a subplot, but they don't even hardly do subplots anymore in a lot of comic stories. Rob Kelly mentioned this in our episode about Alan Brenner. You know, superhero comics nowadays, they're they're largely unrelatable to everyday life. Mm -hmm. This story is nothing...
1: about the fantastic.
0: Right. It's just the fantastic. There's nothing... Take the fantastic and make it relatable. This story is actually the antithesis of that because Mm -hmm. this could have been about any two characters that had known each other for years. Right. This could have been on any TV show, you know, that had run for several years. You knew the characters and, you know, they set up that this character didn't know where she came from. There's nothing other than wonder woman rescuing her and taking her to paradise Island. There's, I mean, a firefighter could have rescued her, taken her to an orphanage, and she grew up there. Right. And didn't know where to come from, and then the friend comes in and helps her. Mm-hmm. The Wonder Woman angle is the only thing that makes her backstory fantastic at all. Right. And all this stuff that, that Dick finds out, I mean, anybody that had, that had been adopted, that, that didn't know where they came from, could relate to this story, you know. Right, because there
1: were childs, you know, child children being sold and stuff like that. Yeah, so- yeah.
0: You know, the fact that, that Robin and Wonder Girl are superheroes, it's it's largely overlookable. They only appear in costume a few times. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you kind of even wonder, did they even have to do that? You know, I think it was probably just maybe they felt like, well, you know, they're buying the new Teen Titans and this. There were still kids buying comics back then. They want to see Robin in, in right, his costume. Right. You know, so we'll put him in there a few times. Usually when they did these quiet stories, uh, these more personal stories, they would put some superhero action in, like a date... A, A Day in the Lives has a few starfire moments in it and things like that where she's using her powers. This was a very special issue of the New Teen Titans. And the New Teen Titans had a lot of subplots that built over time and would be resolved. But this one, they just, okay, this issue, we're doing this. And it's a standout. It's a standout and a standout run. And if you have never read it, I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. What did you think about it?
1: Well, like I said, I mean, I... I liked it, except for the fact that when she goes back, the woman's still living in the same house in the nice neighborhood that Donna was in. Why didn't she sell the house to keep her kid?
0: Yeah. I I
1: can't help it. I keep thinking about that. that, Well,
0: now I'm going to be thinking about it, so thanks. Sorry. (laughs) I've loved this story for 30 years, and almost, and you've just... I, I get where you're coming from, uh, but uh, yeah, that, that is a good point. I think for the most part, it's the story, other than that, I think the story's pretty well thought out. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this, you know, and, and kind of like what I was, uh, I was pretty much getting at that before, but to me, this is comics, this is superhero comics at its most mature. You know, this is mature storytelling for a superhero comic. It's not about some adolescent fantasy with things blowing up and boobs and dismemberment and you know. That's
1: it, not what makes things mature. That's it's not about mature. Dealing with the actuality of what is really going
0: on. Right. It's about a person using their talents to help another person they care about, and that's plain and simple. That's the end of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what the story's about. This story, I didn't really do the research into <laughs> into where this stories were printed. But I, I don't think you'll have any trouble finding uh, the New Teen Titans run reprinted. I believe there was a Who Is uh, Donna Troy trade paperback, or maybe it was Who Is Wonder Girl, which they did another story in a Titan series called Who Is Wonder Girl when they were trying to straighten out all the mess that various creators had created around her backstory post-crisis. And I think they put this one in there. There's, you know, New Teen Titans Showcase Presents, I think there's Omnibus, Omnibuy, Omnibuy?
1: I don't know on um, the
0: buses archives it's out there it's uh you know and if you're looking for the original issue, I'm sure you can find it it's probably not that high i you know if you if you if you're gonna get one issue of the new teen Titans, just one uh get this one this is the you know the junior contracts grad course that's like four or five parts. this is one issue. Go get it. Read it. So I think that'll do it for this time. We're out. All right. And, uh, you know, if, if you got any comments, send them to us. You know, you can drop a drop us a line on Facebook. Look up Supermates. We're out there. You can leave a comment on the actual Supermates page, which is supermatescomic.blogspot.com. Or you can email us at SupermatesPodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Let's know what you think. We'd be glad to hear from you. So until next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide. The fictional characters and events mentioned in this show are trademark and copyright their respective owners. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their owners, and we mean no infringement by either. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast.